What a glorious day we have outside, and it's more beautiful inside, where the people of God get to meet with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, given perpetually to the church since the Lord Jesus Christ returned to heaven. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. For those that know their Bibles well, this is the David and Goliath chapter. And we want to set the stage for today's preaching from this chapter and the event that's recorded there. Let's make today glorious. Amen. We're not fatalists. We're not going to sit around waiting for the Lord to make it glorious. It's going to be by His blessing and power in our lives, but we have a choice, and that's to put away the world and to seek His face and His worship and want to lift it up long, loud, lustrous, for His glory. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is the young man David coming to the battlefield on an errand from his father with ten loaves for his three brothers and ten cheeses for their captain of a thousand in order to possibly protect their lives by that captain putting them in favorable positions and to take a promise of the brothers that David could return to the Father, that they would be careful in battle. And I can't read you the whole chapter. We've been over this chapter before. It's an outline on our website entitled, Is There Not a Cause? But let me start at verse 20. And I want you to notice the character of the young man. And it was his character his entire life, but for a few brief moments, exception moments, he loved the Lord and did everything with zeal. And I want all of you to do what we're going to consider today with zeal, and that is to hold fast the truth and to live it out in our lives. Verse 20, David rose up early in the morning, and he left the sheep with a keeper, and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. That is the words already described and quoted here earlier in the chapter And the most important words of the chapter, and David heard him. And David heard them, the words of Goliath. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, 
Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Amen Amen and amen. There is a cause. David had a cause and we have a cause. I want you to appreciate the providential timing that David running an errand to the army, not knowing a single thing about Goliath, but running an errand with ten loaves and ten cheeses happens upon the army at the moment Goliath comes out morning and evening for 40 days to defy the armies of Israel, and David heard the words out of that uncircumcised Philistine's pagan mouth. And so I like to say that the most important words are at the end of verse 23, and David heard them, in that God had providentially arranged for the man whose heart was right, whose courage was great, and that he was with to hear the words that would provoke a fight. We can't just come in here and relax. Christianity isn't a a religion of relaxing. Paul didn't say when he got to the end of his life, there's a crown of righteousness waiting for me because I've relaxed well. Because I took my ease. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. For those of you that had ever run cross country, you know what it means to finish your course. Like Paul did so many times, he appealed to an athletic event that he had finished it. He finished his course, and that was to be the greatest apostle and the apostle to us Gentiles. But here we have a battle. Now notice, if you get aroused by the fact that the world, and I mean the Christian world, is leaving the truth of God's word for the most part, most Christians are living worldly lifestyles, most churches are compromising, if you get aroused by that fact, others are going to make fun of you for being extreme, foolish, proud, arrogant, critical, negative, and so forth. Just like David's oldest brother did to David, the eighth brother, the youngest of the family. Because Eliab, his older brother in verse 28, got angry. Why was Eliab angry? Eliab had had 40 days to go out there and take on Goliath. He was the chief of the brothers. Go back and read about it. When Samuel anointed David to be king of Israel in place of Saul... It says that when Samuel saw Eliab, he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Because Eliab was a stud in the family. He was the oldest brother. But notice, he's angry. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. This is verse 28. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David and said, Why camest thou down hither? What are you doing here? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? You little boy, you've got a few little sheep to be babysitting back there at home. What are you doing here? I know thy pride. You know, pride is a sin of the heart. And when someone accuses you of pride, how can you on the spot refute their accusation? That is hard. This is his oldest brother saying to him, you're a proud little guy and you're down here out of curiosity to see the battle. And David said, what have I now done? What have I done wrong, Eliab, to get you so angry with me? Is there not a cause? Shouldn't someone be saying something since this Philistine is defying the God of Israel? Is there not a cause? David had a cause. It was God's church, Israel, against the world, the Philistines and Goliath. Goliath was opening his mouth and saying, send a man 
So every man had a choice to make, and none of them made the right choice except David. Send a man to fight with me, and the whole battle can be over, and the Philistines will serve the Israelites. Well, that's a big cause. Now, did you see that David rose up early in the morning in verse 20? Do you see that in verse 22, David ran? Do you know that David ran to meet Goliath? He ran to meet him. He wasn't timid about it. We should be eager this morning. We should embrace the opportunity of standing for the truth and opposing error. We have a cause. The Lord has committed New Testament truth to us, which is far greater than the truth that was committed to David under the Old Testament. We should be earnestly contending for it, as I wrote you yesterday from Jude 1 and verse 3. We should earnestly contend for the faith. There's not multiple faiths. There's not multiple ways to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is the faith. There is one way to worship God acceptably. And we should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. What a providential situation we have. Last Lord's Day, I reminded you of something that I remind you of often. The most important prophecy in the Bible for us is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, all the way to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4. 21 verses telling us about the decline and degeneration of Christianity when churches and Christians would compromise with the world and turn apostolic Christianity into a carnal compromising, effeminate, and worldly brand of religion. That's the most important prophecy. The details, the character traits of that compromise are are there. God has providentially arranged for you to be born and for you to have ten loaves and ten cheeses, if you will, to arrive in the perilous times of the last days. Paul called this degeneration of Christianity perilous times. Everyone wants us to, including conservative Christians, want us to think about different ways that are dangerous, like political danger. Political danger is not a threat to the church. Political danger makes stronger Christians. Just look at the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, and the men that gave their lives as martyrs. The perilous times are compromised by Christians, lest we be led astray by their compromise. And the Lord arranged for us to be born at this time, just like he arranged for David to arrive at the army of Israel at the time Goliath spoke, so he heard the words. Here we are. We don't have a choice. The Lord trusts us. He has committed his truth to us. He's called us to a different kind of a battle. Are we going to hold the truth fast? That means fastened in our grip. Are we going to stand steadfast? That means fastened in one place. Are we going to hold the truth and live it out in our lives and not compromise? We're not going to compromise in doctrine. We're not going to compromise in practice. We're not going to compromise in worship. We're not going to compromise in our lifestyles. And this is how we fight. Let's take up five smooth stones from a brook and run to meet them. That's what we're going to do today. By his grace, we're nothing. We're the least of all his saints. But he's arranged for us the eighth of the family. You know, and the older brothers think we're a bunch of nutcases because we worship differently than they do. We worship just like our brethren of a few years ago. 
But they think that we're proud, that we're too picky, and so forth. But let's not worry about them. We can say, what have I now done? We haven't done anything wrong. We're just trying to worship the Lord sincerely and passionately. And is there not a cause? There is a cause. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, and our blessed Father by adoption, we thank Thee, Lord of heaven and earth, that You have called us and given us a cause. You have chosen us out of this world, sanctified us by Your Holy Spirit, opened our hearts to believe the truth, opened our eyes and ears to hear it and see it, You've convicted us about it. And Heavenly Father, you've put a cause in front of us. And we want to be as faithful to that cause as David was to the one in his time. Forgive us, for we've been neglectful in the past. Forgive us, for we've been slothful. Forgive us, where the world has encroached upon our zeal. And we have been distracted with the thoughts and cares of this life. Oh Lord, help us to love the truth to embrace the truth, to earnestly contend for it, to defend it, to promote it, that this church would be the pillar and ground of the truth, that we would embrace the truth, love it, read the Word of God to confirm ourselves in it, love the preaching of God's Word where it is displayed and declared to us. And Heavenly Father, most of all, that we would live that truth, for we can contend with the unrighteousness and wickedness around us by living the truth out. Let our marriages be such wonderful examples and demonstrations of love and care, peace and pleasure that the world is condemned by all their corruptions of the institution of marriage. And that's just one example of many, Heavenly Father. Oh Lord, stir us up this day. The Spirit of God inspired the words of 40 writers that make up our Bible. Now, oh Lord, stir us up that we would read those words, hear them preached, and be inflamed in our hearts and our minds to go forth and fight the good fight of faith and to finish our course. Heavenly Father, have mercy upon us. We thank Thee for this assembly. We thank Thee for this privilege. It is a blessed privilege and favor to be in Your house with Your people on Your day with Your Word, Your Spirit, because of the work of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank Thee for the risen, reigning, and returning Lord Jesus Christ. All that we have is because of Him, and all that we want to do is for Him. Now bless us this day. Make this worship great in Thy sight for His glory. Heavenly Father, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our unrighteousness and cleanse us from all wickedness. Purify us right now with the cleansing power of the Lord Jesus Christ's shed blood, His perfect righteousness and His glorious name. As has been prayed already this morning, what we pray for ourselves, we pray for every church of saints around the world. Heavenly Father, that You will be with them and give them anything that we would ask for ourselves. Establish and and strengthen and broaden Your kingdom in the world this day. Bless Your preachers that the word of the Lord might have free course and be glorified, that sinners would be converted, that saints would be strengthened, 
that we would all be convicted to go forth and do battle with the compromise around us, that we will not compromise, but that we will live those holy lives that you have called us to live. Father, we thank thee for America. We live in a great nation. We pray that you will forgive it, its many sins, its heinous, pagan, profane blasphemies against thee, removing prayer, taking away creation, putting in its place the abomination of evolution. O oh Lord, forgive our nation, its wickedness, its corruption of marriage, its abortion of our children. Lord, have mercy. But we pray for our government and its rulers. Lead them and guide them, protect them and bless them. They are the fathers of our nation. They are the ministers of God to us for good. Use them, O oh Lord, to preserve and protect thy people in this country. Heavenly Father, O Lord, now we come before Thee and humble ourselves. Without Thee, we can do nothing. Without Thee, every syllable coming out of this pulpit will be in vain. Bless us. Heavenly Father, let nothing be said or done today that would disappoint Thee or offend Thee. Have mercy upon us. Lead us and guide us. Let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. For we pray in the name which is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.